Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Clean up on I four. Yeah, we used to say clean up on like aisle four, but today it's clean up on I-4. Cleanup is beginning today on Interstate 4 across Central Florida. Hurricane Adelia barreled into Florida's Big Bend region yesterday. We lifted up um we lifted up prayers in you know in in terms of the forecast of the path and wanna continue not only lifting up prayers today, but also sending Relief and aid um, and help, literal help to the people directly affected um, by this this very very fast moving intense um, storm. And so, uh, friends in Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas beginning cleanup today. Really, the storm surge is the most devastating part of it. And when we were talking about uh, the full moon and the beauty of it, we would also should be talking about what that means in terms of tides and the tidal reality. And um, and so because these were extreme high tides already, um, this storm surge was uh, was very, very severe, submerging homes and, and businesses, flooding streets. Um, and obviously then the high winds associated with a Category 3 hurricane um, arriving on land. It quickly, um, you know, spun itself down um, once it started crossing the state of Florida. And by the time it reached Georgia and the Carolinas, um, you know, less of a wind event than um, than than a rain event. Um, and then this tidal surge that is being experienced not only on Florida's west coast, but on the east coast in cities like Charleston. So be um, be praying for um, for folks and helping as as you can. Always leads us to a conversation about what kinds of storms we are experiencing in life right now. Um, good day to talk about, you know, what's the worst storm you've ever been through and and how did you endure it? What did that storm leave in its wake? Who helped you wade through the mess and sort through the debris and move forward to the next steps? Um, who needs that kind of neighbor today? Like, look around your life and, you know, go and sit and listen and sort through and walk with somebody who is enduring a storm right now. Um, That really leads us to the conversation that we're going to have next with Kurt Thomas um, about suffering and about hope. The book is The Deepest Place. And so let me ask you, like, where are you suffering today? What is the source of of suffering in your life. And you may say, I'm not suffering today. Um, Or I suffered in the past and I've worked my way through that. Or all I see is suffering and it's too big of a question to even answer. Suffering is a shared human experience in that we all suffer. Um, But it's also one of those things that's terribly unique because we each suffer personally and uniquely. So, Get in touch with your suffering here in in the next minute or so. Become aware of your suffering. 
so that we can have a conversation about how to respond to it. That's up next with Kurt Thompson. The book is The Deepest Place, Suffering and the Formation of Hope. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Kurt Thompson is joining us today. His new book, The Deepest Place, Suffering and the Formation of Hope. Kurt, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Um, we should just start with the whole idea of a Christian psychiatrist. So, uh, <laughs> so how, uh, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, I think when people ask me, you know, "Are you a Christian psychiatrist?" I usually respond and say, "Well, I first of all, I'm I am a follower of Jesus, and I practice mm-hmm. psychiatry for a living. I don't know that." Uh, Christian is necessarily the most helpful adjective for it, but what it means is that, you know, I'm someone who practices in the medical field of psychiatry, doing all kinds of things there, and most recently just in terms of this intersection of neuroscience and Christian spiritual formation, and I do so from the perspective of being a Jesus follower, which of course changes and shapes and forms everything that we're thinking about in the field of science. So if you're listening right now and um, you know what interpersonal neurobiology is, uh, then you're really, really going to like Kurt. And if you don't have any idea what that is, but you are familiar with suffering and you would like uh, uh, to know what a pathway to hope is, you're going to really like Kurt. So there you go. This is the way um, uh, I will um, I will frame this for my friends who are listening right now. So the deepest place, suffering and the formation of hope. Um You say, I make no promise that we will suffer less. I am Mm -hmm. confident Mm -hmm. that we will suffer differently. It's my Mm -hmm. intention um, here to like unfold that in this book um, so that we could come to discover um, this durable hope. So I want to, I want to talk about Mm -hmm. that. I want to talk about Mm -hmm. the suffering through which we form durable hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, Carmen, I think that um, when, when people have asked me, what, what prompted you to write the book? I think in, you know, my, my response has become, I really wanted to honor the suffering that I witness, that we in our, in our office, in our practice, uh, and in the places that I go to speak and be present with people at retreats and conferences, we wanted to honor the, the suffering that people experience, not just the, the suffering that we have because of the things that have happened to us, or the suffering that we have, as it turns out, largely because of what we do to ourselves, which is probably the largest part of how it is that we suffer, but also the suffering that we experience that we read about in, the, in our scriptures, this suffering that comes because we are going to choose to follow the king, because we are going to walk toward and in the light. There is this sense in which if I'm going to follow Jesus, there is going to be a certain degree of peeling off my addictions, of leaving behind the things, the stories that I've told myself that have created some of my suffering. And that's really hard to do. If you suddenly decide that you you recognize that you're terribly out of shape and you're going to go to the gym or you're going to start to work out, there is going to be a certain kind of suffering that comes from leaving the old behind. Now, certainly we are moving toward a hopeful and joyful future, but that leaving things behind or the process of continuing to live with 
things that are happening to us. If it's you've had a history of sexual abuse or you're uh, you're working through a period of, of cancer treatment or you've lost loved ones in ways that are tragic. These are not things that leave you uh, leave you alone after three months. And so what does it mean for us to form hope? Hope is not something that simply falls into our lap. Hope isn't something that we simply hope happens to us. It is something that we form in the face of our suffering, in the presence of the loving kindness of the body of Jesus, which is what we really try to explore in detail in the book from Paul's text in the fifth chapter of Romans, the first five verses. So take us there, um, because that is the text that you um, that you help us live into mm. and walk into. So mm. could you take us into that passage yeah. of Scripture? You bet. Well, so many of us might be familiar with verse 3 of Romans 5, which is, We know, therefore, that we glory also in our suffering, for suffering produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. Which, was, which does not put us to shame. But what we often forget is what precedes that verse in the first two verses, in which Paul talks about faith and justification and glory. And this notion that Paul is working with the assumption that as followers of Jesus, the glory of God that we long for and that we hope for to share in is not just the glory of God in his awesomeness, in his wonder. It's also the glory that C.S. Lewis talks about, for example, when he describes the experience of a dog in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, when he describes how a dog's greatest pleasure is the dog's awareness of the pleasure of his master. That when the dog sees you, when you come home and you shower that dog with joy and attention, that dog has no greater glory than to be the pleasure of his master. And this is what Lewis is getting at, that the glory that Paul is talking about here, the glory that we read about in all of John's gospel when Jesus refers to it, is the glory of the Father toward the Son. This sense of, I want you to know that you are the object of my pleasure that we are the object of God's pleasure. And for most of us, I, I would dare say that many of us have many parts of us that if we were to wake up in the morning, being the object of God's pleasure is not the first thing that pops into our head. I'm just trying to get through my freaking day and imagining mm. that I am the object of God's pleasure does not hit me. And especially those parts of my life that I have buried those parts of my suffering that I just kind of put in a room and lock it away because it's too much for me to look at, those are the parts that Jesus wants to come to and say, it's not just the parts of you that are well that I want to be with. It's the parts of you that suffer. It's the parts of you that have been suffering that you've ignored because they're too painful. And I want to go into those rooms and not just heal them, but to say to you that they are the object of my pleasure. I long to be in those spaces, just like he was with the woman with the bleeding problem in Mark 5. He wasn't, it wasn't just enough for him to heal her bleeding. He knew there was mm. far more to her suffering than just her bleeding. That wasn't her plan. Her, she had a plan for healing, kind of commando healing. You get in, you get out, you don't, nobody sees you. He had a whole different intention for her because he knew that the worst part of her suffering was not just her physical malady. It was her not being called daughter, her not being married, her not having children, her being cast out of the community that she would have assumed was too much 
of a too much of a mountain for Jesus to climb. So she's not asking for healing from that. She wouldn't even imagine that that kind of suffering could be touched. But this is exactly what Jesus wants to do. He wants to build hope in her by mm. coming to the places of her suffering where she, it, she's not even hopeless. She can't even imagine hope in those places. And so the book is intended to help us recognize that it is beginning with glory that we then enter into to look at our suffering, practice being with each other. Because this is, we, we read this text, I read this as an individual and think that, oh, Paul's just writing to me, Kurt, and somehow Kurt has to figure this out, or Kurt and Jesus has to figure this out. That text mm. was written to a community of believers. It's assumed that to be a Christian means that you're going to follow Jesus in the context of a body of fellow travelers, and that it mm. is in seeing the love of Jesus you know, Carmen, in your sight line, hearing it in your voice, watching it in your body language, sensing your words become the words of the Holy Spirit to me. This is how I remind myself, how I am reminded that I am the object of God's pleasure. And therefore, in this place where I suffer, I don't just suffer on my own. You suffer with me, which is what transforms my experience, which what enables me to imagine that if this is what it's like to suffer, to suffer with Carmen and Sarah and Bill and Sam together in community, then that allows me to imagine a future that is hopeful and not one of despair. All right, Kurt, I want to um, I want to unpack that a little bit further. Um, we have to take a very brief break. Here's what um, like that. There's like so much that is so good. And then it's totally terrifying. So because what you're talking about is transparency and being real, not just with myself and God, but uh, allowing all of that to be seen and heard and experienced in community with other people. And we don't know how to do that. So yeah. I'm going to ask uh, Kurt Thompson that question next. We are talking about his brand new book, The Deepest Placed, Suffering and the Formation of Hope. I'm going to direct you to his website because there's lots of other resources there in addition to a way that you can download um, the, uh, the first chapter of the book for free, KurtThompsonMD.com. Kurt is with a C, C-U-R-T, ThompsonMD.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're continuing our conversation with Dr. Kurt Thompson. I want you to visit him on his website, KurtThompsonMD.com. One of the things you're going to find there is the book we're discussing today, The Deepest Place, Suffering and the Formation of Hope. But there's also um, a lot of other great resources as well. So great place to access all of that. Um, I want to talk about, um, I want you to tell us what an emotional Leviathan is, because mm -hmm. that was an, a captivating idea. 
Um, mm. So hold on to that for just a moment. Um, but mm. I want to read um, a portion of the opening paragraph, and then I want to invite you to tell us one of those stories. So Kurt says, over the course of walking with many patients who have committed themselves to doing the difficult, often excruciating work of living, I have on many occasions witnessed transformation, both glorious and durable, for which, for which words fail me. Hmm. Could you just tell us one of those stories? Because I think that it helps us to imagine um, committing ourselves to this kind of hard work um, hmm. Hmm. by hearing the testimony and the stories of others. Hmm. Carmen, one of the characters that I write about in the book uh, is a young woman by the name of Cheney, who uh, was the daughter of uh, her parents were NGO uh, workers in a foreign country, and uh, they sent her to a boarding school where many other expats sent their kids to a boarding school. And at the boarding school, uh, she was summarily bullied, and then uh, in the process of that, took up comfort in uh, the presence of an older boy uh, in the school who uh, with whom you know she they got she got pregnant and her parents being overwhelmed with their own work and life um, had the uh, pregnancy quietly ended in an abortion um, when Cheney went to college back in the states uh, she encountered a campus ministry group she meets Jesus and uh, there is this sense in which things, you know, can change for her, but this uh, part, of, part of her life was that she worked really hard to bury that old part of her, and she became extraordinarily successful in her life, and uh, she found herself in my office not because she was working through this old, as we would say, Leviathan, right? This is the word of, in the scriptures that represents this deep sea monster, this thing that was symbolic for the Hebrews and for the ancients of that which is dangerous but is underneath things that we that, that we that we stay away from. And uh, what happened was she she presented to my office initially because of some sleeping problems. This is it was just a matter of you know I just have a sleeping problem and the and this is where the story begins. This becomes the door that we walk into into her house where this Leviathan is in some room in the basement of the house, locked up, and a room that she has long forgotten, not really wanting to talk about. And over the course of time, we began to recognize that this energy that she was burning to become so successful, but that she was running out of, was in no small part a way for her to not just be successful in the world, but it was a way for her to focus her attention so as to keep her attention away from this monster that's in the basement. And we do this a lot. There are things that we have in our lives. We like to say that evil does its best work in the middle of good work being done. And what, what I mean by this is that we have all kinds of things that we are doing uh, in response to God's prompting. We are doing good things in the world and evil just being parasitic. It doesn't really, doesn't really, you know, have substance or good things of itself. It just had, it parasitically joins other things. So even, even Cheney's work to do good things in the world and all the hard effort was getting tangled up in all this buried shame and trauma. And so what began first is a conversation about her insomnia quickly accessed this part of her story. It's one thing for her, though, to tell me this story 
one single person. You can imagine if you're having a conversation with one person, you can kind of control that conversation as much as you can. But to imagine that you eventually enter into a room where there's six or eight other people whom you don't know, and you begin to tell your story to them, there's great risk in this. There's even great terror in this. What are all these people going to think when they discover my past? And as she began to share her story, in her terror, as we like to say, allowing ourselves to be loved is the single most difficult task for human beings. We aren't very good at loving each other. That's pretty clear. You just look around. We're not very good at that. But the reason we're not is because of the thing that we're even less good at, which is we have a really hard time allowing ourselves to be loved because as much as we want it, and all of our pop music and movies and literature tell us we want to be loved, we're actually terrified of it, which is why the woman with the bleeding problem in Mark 5 comes to Jesus with fear and trembling when she was called out. And Cheney, likewise, when she was allowing others to see her, was terrified to look at people looking at her until she started to notice that even as she was revealing this very, very painful story of suffering, that she was being met with mercy, with compassion, with tears in other people's eyes, with other people expressing their anger on her behalf. This was something that she's never experienced before. Now, look, she can get it from me. She can say, well, I know because you're the, you're the psychiatrist. I'm, I'm paying you to be my friend. These are other people in this confessional community of this group that we form in which others like her are with their very embodied presence, just like the body of Jesus is called to be and to do, is actually becoming the very vehicle in which God's glory that we just mentioned in our last segment, his delight in our presence, even in the face of the parts of us that we hate the most, we experience that because we experience it in the presence of other human beings. It's one thing for me to say, yes, I know God loves me because God's in my imagination. It's another thing for me to reveal my suffering to a real person and then have to take the risk of whether or not that person is going to stay in the room. And what Cheney experienced over the course of many weeks of being in this community was the encounter with being loved in the places of her heart and of her life that she hated the most, that she had been burning tons of energy trying to keep buried. And when that was released, she found she had energy that she had never known before because she was no longer having to burn energy, keeping all of this pain and suffering under wraps, but found that her brain and her mind and her life was walking in community with others. Because as we read on the second page of the Bible, it's not good for the man to be alone. Mm. And being alone is the primary signal of all of our anxiety. Our anxiety is primarily around our fear of ultimately being alone. And I worry most that I'm going to be alone when you see the parts about me that I'm sure that when you see them, Carmen, you're going to leave. You're going to want mm. nothing more to do with me. And we each have some parts of us for which that is true. We each do. This is why we need the atonement, that word that is not just a matter of Jesus paying a price for our sins, which is part of what that word means, but that word atonement comes from the old English word at one meant, which is 
God being fully with us, at one with us, because it's not until Jesus comes into that room in my basement of my house that I've kept locked away, can he then take that with him through Good Friday into Easter Sunday and then on to Ascension. If I'm not willing to allow myself to be loved in the places, in the deepest places of suffering, it will be difficult for me to form hope because there will still be parts of me that still believe that I'm yet at war with God. And until I allow him to make peace with them, I will still be waiting for that glory that Paul says that we are called to experience when we are in this community of faith together. I want to have like a two or three hour conversation with you, um, (laughs) but we're out of time for this conversation. Um, I hope that you will receive this in the way that it is said. Um, Thank you. Mm. Um, Mm. I love, Mm. I love what you have written, but Mm. I love the way you communicate it verbally. Um, Mm. And so thank you. Um, I am going to start listening to your podcast, um, which I'm going to commend to others as well. The book is The Deepest Place, Suffering and the Formation of Hope. But Kurt has a number of other ministry resources, including a podcast. And now that you've heard his voice and you've heard his passion um, and you've heard his concern and his care and the stories that he tells, um, I know you're going to want to check that out as well. So KurtThompsonMD.com. Lots of resources there, including a free downloadable chapter of the book um, as a little bit of a taste and see. So, Kurt, thank you. Um, Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for what you have written and for um, speaking with such truth and grace and joy and hopefulness into our lives. Carmen, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. What a privilege. That's uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Okay, sometimes it's fun to circle back around to people we've talked with in the past and do a little catch-up. So um, years ago when he was in high school, and he's now a college graduate, so years ago when he was in high school, we had a young man named Aaron Trost on the show um, because we were talking with him about a Christian worldview organization he was a part of called the National Christian Forensics and Communications Association. I didn't even know what Christian forensics was at the time. Um, And so anyway, he read me in on that a number of years ago. Well, since then, I have had the opportunity to meet him in person and work with him collaboratively at the University of Northwestern St. Paul in the media ministry. And, um, And he now has graduated from college and is working in the industry. And so I thought it would be fun. Let's have Aaron Trost back and let's have him talk with us about um, these influences in his life that have helped him become the the man of God he is today. So next up, Aaron Trost, um, voice from the past, voice of the future, former participant in the National Christian Forensics and Communications Association, and my friend and colleague in ministry. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend Aaron Trost is back. We like to call him Toast. Hey, good morning, Aaron. Hey, good morning. How are you, Carmen? If we were having Toast this morning, what kind of Toast would we be having? Oh, man. You know, I if it was a Saturday morning, it'd be French Toast. <gasps> mm. that's that's mm-hmm. my best choice but otherwise cinnamon sugar that's the that's the superior one there 
<laughs> would your would it be super toasty? I'm I'm a person who likes my toast really toasty. Other people still like like they like their toast more just like warmed bread. Yeah, I, I go with the golden brown, a little mm-hmm. crispy, but not like burnt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. Well, um, this is all in an effort to help you remember Aaron's name. Aaron Trost. Um, so, Aaron, is it possible that we launched you on your radio career? Is it possible that we were your first radio interview? I think you were. Well, yeah, I, th- I want you to like write that down somewhere in your, you know, in your, because like 15 years from now, somebody's going to be like, oh, where did you get started, famous radio person? And, yeah, and you know, I just, I just, I'm just going to shamelessly say, you know, we're going to want credit for that. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll credit <laughs> radio and mornings with Carmen to my to my now radio career. <laughs> All right. So when you joined us the first time, as I recall, you were in high school. You might have been a senior. Um, it seems like you were right at the end of your college career. Maybe you were already a freshman in college. Um, so I don't know if you remember exactly when that was, but you came on to talk with us about the National Christian Forensics and Communications Association, with which I was completely unfamiliar, and so you read us in. So remind us, what is that, and how did that influence your Christian walk of faith? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it was back when I was just going into my senior year, because I was going into the last year of competing in NCFCA. Um, and NCFCA is basically a Christian homeschool back then it was homeschool. I think now they include private schools as well. Um, but it's a, it's a homeschool Christian speech and debate league, basically a national league that you can, um, join and you can compete in, uh, 13 different speeches, speech categories and two different categories of debate and then moot court. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities to explore different areas of your faith. And uh, one of the speech categories is apologetics. So you can go in, you have seven minutes to prepare a speech based on a prompt that you draw. And I mean, that alone is a good way to learn more about your faith when you're in a time crunch like that and you're in a competitive mindset. Um so I, I think for me growing up and um, being in high school, that's a pretty, I mean, that's a pretty formative time of your life. And so being in that environment and creating speeches that are centered around a Christian worldview, because I competed in speech in public school as well before I got to NCFCA. And a lot of the topics were not um, glorifying to God, it would be the way to say it. Um, lots of things just that, that weren't addressed from a Christian worldview. And it's not that you can't touch on those certain topics, but it's that they weren't being touched on from a Christian worldview. And so, um, it wasn't the best environment to be in being in, in public school speech for me and my, and my parents recognized that. And they were like, Hey, let's try to find something different. Um, and initially I was kind of upset because, because I love speech. And then when I found NCFCA, it was like, oh man, this is a 180 shift and I can see the culture change and I can see that people here are wanting to know more about Jesus and just being in that culture um, helped me dig deeper into my faith as well. We're talking with Aaron Trost, um, former participant in NCFCA during this week when we're 
um, and challenging ourselves on how we can encourage emerging generations in terms of the cultivation of a biblical worldview, a Christian worldview. Thought it would be fun to have Aaron back and talk with him about the influences and influencers who helped him shape and form his worldview as a young adult today. So we're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. I'm going to challenge Aaron um, to maybe tell us a story or two about an influencer or an influence that um, that helped him become the person he is today. How would you answer that question if you and I were sitting down for a cup of coffee right now? What are the influences or the influencers who um, helped you become the man or woman you are today? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. We're talking with Aaron Trost. Among other things, he's now the creative services director and evening on-air host for KSLT Radio. That's our sister music affiliate station in Rapid City, South Dakota. So if you live out there in the Black Hills and you're like, hey, I need some good Christian music, Mm -hmm. KSLT 107.1. Uh, in Rapid City is where you can listen now to Aaron Trost in the evenings. We like to call him Toast. All right, um, Aaron, let's talk about uh, an influencer or an influence in your life as a young person that you feel like really helped you cultivate a biblical worldview and become the man you are today. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, how much time do we have? (laughs) Um. There's been, oh my goodness, so many people that have just poured into me and um, I, I don't even know. I mean, obviously uh, my parents raising me in a, in a Christian home um, and answering questions when I had them and teaching me how to live as a Christian um, and really kind of um, putting that, that seed that then sparked into a love for Jesus Um Specifically in in NCFCA and and how that kind of shaped my faith, I would say honestly, a lot of the fellow competitors um, really shaped how I thought about stuff and just the conversations that I had with them in between speech rounds. You know, you're sitting in the table on the uh, in the table area where, where everyone's hanging out, and um, you're just getting into really good deep conversations and moving into college too. Um, so many friends and so many professors that, that poured into me as well. Um, it's been cool to kind of look back and just see even at, you know, in, at KTIS at faith radio, just how people care and people want to see you succeed. And if you have questions you can ask and you don't have to feel like, man, like, I don't know if that's a good question to ask, or I'm scared to ask that question, but um, so yeah, it's been cool to look back throughout my life and just see those, those kind of seasons that you go through, um, where, where different people have poured in at different times. And you're now the ripe old age of 
21. (laughs) 21. So, you know, looking back over the course of your life, it is, um, it's wonderful and it's a delight. And I want to celebrate the way God is using you now and the future filled with hope he has certainly set before you. Um, And so it's, it's fun to uh, have an opportunity to, to talk with you. Um, So when you think about uh, young men and women today um, and this, maybe concept or idea of mentoring. You've talked about um, friends, professors, your mom and dad, uh, people professionally pouring into you. Um, When you, I'll just confess this, like, right, so as a, I don't know, person of an age now, not 21, um, you know, I have, uh, I have some life experience. There's some, you know, there's, my treads are worn on my tires. Um, and I'm be more than happy, delighted to pour into others. I think it's sometimes hard for us to know how to offer that to younger people. So um, maybe just tear down that that wall that we think exists um, yeah. between generations. Yeah, definitely. I honestly, I mean, before you just said that right there, I wouldn't have thought about that as that being kind of a, a barrier of like, not really being sure if, if the, to, you know, I mean, quote unquote, younger generation would want that. But I mean, from my perspective, it is so incredibly helpful to see people who have life experiences, who have gone through maybe what I'm going through right now, um, to, to speak into that. I mean, if, if I were just to give a little bit of encouragement to, to someone that's, you know, my age, is reach out and and let that person that you look up to let that person that you admire know hey would you be willing to mentor me through this process that i'm going through or would you be willing to you know have a weekly phone call or something like that so um from my perspective not being afraid to reach out and seeing them as as someone who's kind of up there and and has more life experience and so they're kind of out of reach you know so um just being willing to to reach out. Uh, let me take that one step further. I would say that I know that when people reach sort of the age and stage of retirement, um, they then feel like they're all of that life experience, all of that lived experience, all of that expertise is now um, not not useful because they're not using it in quote unquote work. But those people are a treasure trove and they have a lot of time. So, uh, Aaron, if you like think, oh, hey, that's a person who's now retired, but I think of them as a as a giant in uh, in Christian radio or in Christian broadcasting or, you know, as a as a person who knows how to bring the stories of others out in ways that really are impactful to listeners. You should give that person uh, an email or a call and say, hey, it occurs to me you might have a little time on your hands. Um, and you have this wealth of experience and I would, I'd like to, um, you know, I'd like to plumb that with you. So I would encourage you to think about not people who are still working, but people who, um, maybe are recently retired. I think of my mom, like she spent this incredible career in communications and uh, she had a 14 year television show. She, you know, taught college courses. Now she's 85 and you'd say, you know, nobody's calling her for like wisdom, but she still has a lot to share and a ton of time in which to share it. Um, and she knows how to use Zoom, sort of. So, you know, I just, I think about um, people who are out there who I want to encourage 
no matter how young or old you are, if you want a mentor, um, reach out and get yourself one. Like, don't wait for that person to, because they don't, I mean, I don't want to say they don't know you exist, but they don't know you're interested. And so don't be afraid. Um, if you're listening right now and you're like, hey, I would like to um, to have a mentor, um, I'm going to encourage you, as, as Aaron just encouraged you, like, reach out to that person and say, I value um, who you are and the experiences that you have had. And I'd, I'd like you to mentor me or I'd like to have conversations about that or just let's just have coffee or a conversation on Zoom to get started. Um, all right. We got time for one more uh, little Q&A here, Aaron. Um, when you think about the future, are you hopeful? And if so, what does that hope-filled future look like? I would uh, hopeful for... Like, I don't know. My... It's an open-ended question. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I would mm. say I'm I'm definitely um, hopeful for just the future in general. What I've seen in in my generation and um, just kind of the the revival that's taking place, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just I'm going to the University of Northwestern. You're you're constantly surrounded by by other believers your age. And, you know, you go to church services on Sunday and and there's a lot of college students there. And so it's cool to see um, so many kids my age pursuing Jesus. Um, and it can kind of feel sometimes you can kind of get bogged down by everything else that's going on and, and lose focus of of the good things that are happening. So I would say overall, I'm definitely hopeful for the future. And I know that if if God's in our future that it's going to be a bright future, whatever, whatever troubles that we have to um, overcome along the way when it comes down to it. And when it comes to the end, it's, it's going to be a good ending. And the ending is just the beginning. So thank you so much. What a joy to have an opportunity to catch up with you blessings um, upon your work and on, and upon you as you labor um, in this work, blessings on you um, as, you know, in your personal life and your family. So um, give give our greetings to your parents and be sure you say thank you to them on our behalf. Um, and uh, it's just, it's a joy to catch up with you. So Aaron, thank you so much and have a blessed day. Garmin, you too. Thanks. You guys can listen uh, to Aaron in the evenings on KSLT Radio in Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, where he serves as the creative services director, in addition to being the evening on-air host. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Okay, I know everybody wants a piece of toast now after talking with uh, Aaron Trost, who we call Toast. So what kind of toast would we be having? I like a really good sourdough, well-toasted with some uh, creamery butter. That'd be my favorite. That's just just straight up plain toast. I also like a, like a marble rye. Uh, that makes me happy um, to have toast. I like toast with cheese on it. So toasted cheese dipped in really good tomato soup. Yeah, now, now I know. Now I'm getting to like the full breakfast menu. <clears throat> and you're saying to yourself, this doesn't sound like breakfast. Well, I've been up half a day. So my breakfast is generally other people's lunch. So there you go. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 is what I want to leave you with today. For in him, all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. 
If it doesn't feel like it's all being held together today, I want you to recognize the reality that Jesus is holding it all together. He's holding you. He's holding creation. He's holding it all together. In him, all things were created. And in him, all things hold together. Will you let Jesus hold you today and let him hold it all together? Let's go out there and glorify him. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.